0: Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, M.D. Dr. Biteman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Biteman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Biteman, M.D.
1: welcome to connecting with coincidence i am your host dr bernard beitman md <clears throat> i'm a psychiatrist my book meaningful coincidences is out now it got published september 6th and and amazon ranks at number one new release uh in jungian psychology which Ooh. i found pretty funny and it's also up there with uh with a a section they call Free Will and Determinism. So it's a book that it seems to be gathering some interest, and I encourage you to take a look at it. It's called Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. Today we are going to enter into what is probably fairly new territory for human precognition. Uh, we're going to be talking about fractals and precognition and how they relate to each other. And we have two really good speakers in, on this subject who've never met each other. And we will get into first defining those terms and then see what the dialogue uh, produces. Now, Recently, uh, I'm looking at fractals coming up to this Uh, this podcast and fractals at at a basic definition are pattern repetitions uh, similar patterns being repeated and perhaps a simple example of that is the songs of an era like the 50s and the 60s have certain sounds to them not always not but certain sounds that you can recognize as belong to that era in the 40s and the 30s as well. So these can be thought of as something like fractals. They're pattern repetitions. It's a, it's a place to start. But I had a couple of uh, other instances of them recently. I think they would be called fractals. Um, and there is some precognitive element to each one of them, which may get fleshed out in our discussion. I, I, I've been on a couple of podcasts uh, recently, and there's more coming. And one of them with Robert Sharp, and the other was on Coast to Coast with George Newry. And they were on the same day. And on that same day, um, two people, each on those podcasts, described the same coincidence. They were writing a word while the TV set was on. And as they wrote that word, the TV set mentioned the word. Now, some of the words were common words, but some of them were not so common. But the funny thing for each of these people describing it is it happened pretty regularly. Now for I, I like double coincidences, which I call meta coincidences. They're coincidences about coincidences. So that was one. And then after the after the Coast to Coast program, somebody emailed me this one. Uh, he says the digits on the license plate in front of me as he's driving match the digits on my odometer. The digits on the license plate he's seeing in front of him match the digits on his odometer. He starts by noticing the tenths of a mile digit and then looks around to match them, if possible, with digits on the license plates. Sometimes three digits are pretty common. Several times a week he will see them. Sometimes he sees four digits every other couple of months matching his odometer and the license. And Pennsylvania only uses four digits where he is, but when he's driving in Virginia, sometimes he sees five digits matching on his odometer and on the license on the license plates. Sometimes he's seen two cars near each other with three matching digits to his odometer. These are pattern repetitions. They sound like fractals. And is there a precognitive element to these descriptions that I am making here, these coincidences I'm describing? Well, we're gonna be answering that question a bit today with our two guests. Terry Marks Tarlow is a clinical psychologist in Santa Monica, California who specializes in deep transformative work and issues surrounding creativity. She's the author and editor of more than 10 books on clinical intuition, creativity, non-linear dynamics, and fractals, as well as the interface of mythology and science. Eric Wargo has a PhD in anthropology from Memory University, works as a science writer and editor in the Washington DC area. He's the author of two books about precognition, time loops, Precogn- precognition, retrocausation, and the unconscious. Came out in twenty eighteen, and precognitive dream work and the long self and that came out last year. So, welcome to the show again, both of you. And it's such a pleasure to have you here, and looking forward to what we're going to be talking about today. Thank you for having us. We're You're- delighted to be here. Well, well, yeah, and I'm delighted to have you both of you here. So this is going to be something. So let's start off with Terry reading Eric's book. The, I assume it's the 2021 book. Uh,
2: no, no, actually, it's Time Loops, it's which time. I had had in my library, but hadn't yet read. And so i that's the one I read.
1: So now you had a good reason to read it. And so a lot, a lot of coincidences seem to happen as you were reading that book and preparing for this discussion. But you have a different take on what we're about to say. So please tell us you and your Eric's book.
2: Okay. Well, I guess I'll, I'll jump right in. First of all, as I was reading your book, Eric, um, all of these synchronicities popped out in the various things that you talked about. And it, it appears to me, and I don't know whether you... Uh, advance your thinking in your most recent book, but um, you keep pointing towards, I think, what I'm offering today, which is moving from um, fractals as a structure that sometimes shows up in precognition to Uh, fractals as or and a metaphor that you use to fractals as a model for precognition and um, I have to say before I started reading your book that I wasn't um, I didn't really believe in precognition I'm one of these people who was much more comfortable with synchronicity, with telepathy, with other forms of uh, uncanny uh, experiences. And because of my interest in nonlinear dynamics and chaos theory and uncertain fundamental uncertainty and unpredictability, the idea of predicting the future just uh, didn't, wasn't sitting, wasn't sitting well with me. And Um, so I, I, it's not like I was a firm disbeliever of it, but definitely not terribly interested in it. As I read your book and then all of the ways that you were touching upon my earlier experience, like all the way through from um, especially the last chapter, but but let me let me go right to the insight I had. I really had a, a, a numinous experience last week as I was sitting outside of my ballet class and reading your last chapter because it was like you went boom, boom, boom through events in in uh, my life that were happening right at that moment. Um, I'll tell you that, and then I'll tell you the dream that uh, really preceded this and was, where i had the new insight that i hadn't uh, had in 20 years just
1: just for just for us slow thinkers here yes uh, outside your ballet class which i love as a beginning of it <laughs> yes. you're reading the last chapter yes and, and that last chapter is describing your life as it is right then
2: well yes so for example um you talk about the movie arrival in the in that chapter uh About three days before that, in my ballet class, I was talking about this podcast coming up to my ballet teacher, and he told me the whole story of Arrival. I actually had seen the the movie, but that was what came to his mind to describe. And and then when I read, it blew my mind that you then were were describing it. You talk a lot about Richard Feynman. I was friends with Richard Feynman um, for many, many years. And my uh, first book that I consider my, my creative jump from talking about creativity to actually Uh, embodying it in in my own writing has a chapter my own Feynman story where I go up to him and say don't you think fractals are profound Uh, this was in the um, 1980s um, and uh, when I first discovered fractals and I can I can tell that story if you want me to what, what he answered and how I reacted to that but we were in a drawing class together, um, not class, but sessions together for many years. And and so this is why I started reading science and being interested in science is to uh uh, pick the brain of the smartest reputedly smartest man in the world um, so you talked about you know you, you do a lot about Feynman in in different ways than than I do and then uh, Lacan you were talking about Lacan in that chapter and just that week I started uh, I transitioned um, from a uh, Brazilian psychoanalyst who has been consulting with me um, who is the uh, Brazil, Brazil's Lacanian expert mm-hmm. to uh, he wanted to be in psychotherapy instead of consultation because on the one hand, his book that is the index of Lacan in Brazil is exploding. On the other hand, he no longer believes in that form of psychotherapy because it's too non-relational. And people are starting to come to him for a relational consultation. And he felt like he needed a a stronger embodied experience. So we had just transitioned uh, that Thursday, um, which was uh, last week. Uh, to psychotherapy so there are all these and there's more I mean there was also oh you t- you talk about androgyny so my connection uh, to androgyny is that Daryl Bem was my professor at Stanford and at the time this was before he did his precognition mm-hmm. stuff he was with Sandra Bem his, his former wife. And, uh, I took a class on androgyny and here's a double one for you, Bernie. I'm also writing an essay. I was invited to write an essay on gender, gender fluidity, and I'm writing it on my own androgyny. So, I mean, I just, it was like, you know, one thing after another, it, in, in terms of the synchronicity, but let me do the well, pre-recognition Well, and,
1: well okay. let, let's let Eric respond to that. Please. First. Yeah. Yeah. Please. So, I mean, cause I'm that's sorry i
2: don't mean to uh, that's
1: all right i mean that's my job it's my job okay well
0: i love that that's 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 fantastic that's what i love to hear it
1: sounds like it had a magical effect rather than yeah yeah it was magic what we what we get to do here Is to see if there's a precognitive element to it, and how that might relate to fractals. But we don't have to do that right now. But it could be a setup for what we talk about later.
2: I think the dream. I think the dream is better for the precognitive. I think to me, this is synchronicity, and I want to make an argument that that synchronicity exists because I know Eric, you're um, wanting to sort of collapse all of synchronicity into precognition. And I'm, I'm a defender of Bernie's. I want to say um, that that also exists that, that, and and I'll tell you why later on in in this session. Um, but shall I do the dream? Do you want me to do it? Dream, or do you, dream, or, dream,
1: dream. Yes, go ahead. Or
2: actually this. before I do the dream, maybe Eric wants to define precognition. I think that probably is a better uh precursor sure. to telling
0: a dream yeah sure yeah i mean just very simply precognition is any form of knowing seeing feeling or being influenced by events in the future in any way that goes beyond inference you know i mean we can predict the future it's not prediction of the future but it's but it's actual events in the future somehow influencing us now and that you know most famously it happens in dreams but it happens in waking life all the time and in uh uh you know i my argument is that a lot of what people call synchronicity is people precognizing things they're about to notice and and that this goes to your your examples bernie you know the people who are noticing noticing these things all the time. You know, one thing that's common is people noticing it's 11:11 11, 11 on the clock, you know. But the thing is there's a there's something precognitive going on. They are being there there there's something that makes them turn to the clock, you know, at that time or something that makes them notice that license plate. I mean, we pass, you know, hundreds of license plates every day and we don't pay any attention to most of them. It's not like that guy is is checking every license plate against his odometer. Um, but there's something, something that's getting him to notice that license plate and then check it, you know, it's, that's a precognitive, uh, type thing. Um, but it works in all kinds of ways. Um, but yeah, I really want to hear your dream.
1: Uh Eric, (laughs) just for a minute, that what you, the key word for what you just described is retrocausation.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's it's another that's another way of looking at the same thing. I mean, it's retrocausation is the principle that allows something like precognition to exist.
1: Exactly. And that's what yeah. uh, that's what I want. So there's time loops for you in which the future influences the present.
0: Right. And the looping aspect, this is what I I think we're going to get to later in the conversation because that's where the fractal comes in. Um ah. it's it's uh all pro- you know in a in a universe that that allows information to time travel, essentially to travel backwards in time, Uh, all prophecies are going to be self-fulfilling on some level. And that is what creates the loop. And that's what's baffling about, about these things. And that's what gives you that synchronistic experience. Um, And that's why, and it's also kind of creates a force field around (laughs) the, the idea and why I think people prefer something a little, you know, less, Kind of headache causing uh <laughs> than than you know actual causal circularity uh and and what physicists call closed time-like curves and things like that um but there's but but fractal i i see fractal as kind of a metaphor for that because fractals uh it's not just pattern repetition it's patterns repeating on 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 different scales it's it's it's, it's self-similarity on all scales and this is something that you see again and again and again in precognitive experiences like dreams, that that not only you don't just precognize some event in the future, you precognize not only that event, but also how the fact that you precognized it uh, like plays into your life and your reactions to the fact that you had a precognitive dream about that event. And like the, we can talk about the classic Scarab story because that illustrates this fractal principle beautifully. Um, Okay. But anyway,
1: that's, we'll get, to, I
0: assume we're uh, going to get to that right later. I'm, I'm wait, just eager to wait. hear
1: Terry's dream. <laughs> we, we we may, we may, or may, we may not, but that's what I wanted to be able to have you define it clearly enough for us to be able to then go back to Terry's dream.
2: Okay, great. And I want to add something to your definition of precognition uh, that I think is really important just to underscore that you are talking about um, awareness that is modulated by brain states so it's not of the events itself as you said it's of the experience of the events but that it's you your theory is that it's really our own brain states that we're um we're cognizant of and I love I love some of your language of pre memorying and this sort of thing that's really um fun fun uh play with words um okay here's my dream so when I was in elementary school I only have memory of two dreams from childhood and only the one I'm about to tell is uh really fleshed out the other the other dream is just it's more of a a a flash of a pastiche. So this is really the only dream other than uh, my recursive dreams, which were tidal wave dreams and and bomb dreams, because this was the age where the world was going to be blown up. Um, But this dream, so I lived in New Jersey, I grew up in New Jersey, and my father worked in New York City. And one night when I was in elementary school, I had a dream that I was on my bed, looking out the window. And I saw the Statue of Liberty coming to get me, tromping across the, the woods like a, a monster, really. And it terrified me. So I lined up all my stuffed animals on the windowsill. And then I dove under the covers and went to sleep. In my dream, when I woke up in the morning, a doorbell rang. The, my doorbell rang and I went downstairs. No, but Nobody else was around. I went downstairs. I opened the door. Nobody was there, but outside on the little stoop was a miniature version of the Statue of Liberty. So I brought, I brought the statue, I brought, you know, I scooped, scooped her up, brought her inside, delighted to see her <laughs> and shut the door. And that was the end of the dream. Now, over the years, I have analyzed that dream, being a psychologist, and being in training, um, and that being the only dream I really remembered. I have analyzed that dream from so many different perspectives. It's my mother. It's my freedom. It's my creativity. I mean, there are so many different ways of approaching that, that different stages of my life uh, really... Um, gave gave rise to and um in Psyche's Veil which was my 2007 book I analyzed that dream as having a fractal structure so there were three levels of of the Statue of Liberty there's the real thing that my you know and my association to my father's uh working and by the way (laughs) he uh his building was six 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 sixty six Fifth avenue and which is the kushner building and 666 is in my family in three generations uh it's my son's social security number it was my telephone number 0666 was my telephone number my landline for more than 20 years and then it was my father's thing so it's the mail (laughs) So that's, that's a different synchronicity. Right. But, um,
0: do you have a birthmark, uh, a funny birthmark? 999, it's 999, so it's The not. mark of the devil. Uh. I'm, I
2: mean, I think of myself as the trickster. So uh, I'm like, I'm definitely a trickster a trickster figure there. Um, but I, so I thought of this as uh, as being a, um, you know, as having a fractal structure and dreams having a fractal structure. Anybody who does dream work Um, knows that uh, you can take a little tiny bit portion of a dream and you can get to the whole of the dream and the other quality of fractals or one other quality of fractals is that the pattern of the whole is in the pattern of the parts and so with dream work you can really see that fractal structure that you can um, start anywhere and sort of get to the whole of things through association through free association but the I had never thought of the dream as precognitive before and that was the insight that I had in reading your book, that that dream was not only having a fractal structure and revealing a fractal structure to me, but that actually it was precognitive. And when I, when I thought about it that way, I realized there are two, I have two other memories from the time period that are related. One right, is- Try
1: to say how it's precognitive. I, I think there's a several okay. ideas in there.
2: Okay, yeah, and then I think the two other memories will elucidate that too. Well, I was aware of fractals in the 19, uh, 1960, and that was, and it, 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 I mean, I wasn't aware I was aware of them until I, you know, read Eric's book. But clearly, um, this three levels of, of structure in this very profound way, um was that i was attuning to fractals as a child in a way that i had no awareness of then and in fact fractals were not even invented or discovered at that time because it was the, it was the later 70s it was the mid 70s that they that mandelbrot uh, identified it and it took computers and there weren't computers back then so there wasn't all there were were julia sets which didn't you know they were considered pathological creatures in mathematics, so uh, this was way before it. And there are two other related memories of, of that structure. One was at the, the, the time,
1: fractals you're talking about is the statue of liberty being repeated in different ways
2: on different scales and on in different, different scales, yes, so different
1: the, the, the real yes. statue. It was coming after you. It appeared in your doorway. And what's the third one?
2: The third one is my father worked in New York City, and I had very strong feelings about that. I lived in New Jersey. And it, so the in real life, the Statue of Liberty was part of my childhood.
1: Okay. So that's
2: the third level. OK, OK. I just,
1: and they're different. Just to be clear, they're at different scales. One's a dream, one's one's in on your doorstep, and one's the real thing.
2: And one's the real thing, yes. And there was quite a transformation of my feeling state in the dream from being terrified of this monster to um, being delighted at the small version of it, which is a a very common sort of trauma um, resolution (laughs) process where the thing we start out being afraid of, and I think. Creativity has a lot of this all the time. We're afraid we can't do something, or it's too hard for us, and it terrifies us. And and we do it, and it's delightful. And um and and so I was able to tolerate the presence of the Statue of Liberty when it was in this small form that I could bring inside. And after having lined up my stuffed animals, which I I have uh, understood. Um, from the more structural point of view as being trying to use linear, linear thinking to defend myself against the scary unknown. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, going to bed and <laughs> just diving yeah. under the covers was yeah. like my way of going into denial there.
1: And there were two, um, you, then you were going on to two other elements that. Yeah. Were- two
2: other elements were. um At the time, they were just starting to talk about um, the Big Bang theory from the steady state theory. So when I was in, I must have been in sixth grade because I had learned about the difference between Big Bang and steady state, but the way I had visualized steady state theory, so if... For people that don't know this about um, physics and the universe, the, the prior to the idea that there was a big bang and that the universe is expanding from a sing, singularity from a single point was the idea that the universe has always been in existence in a steady state. And the way I had visualized that in elementary school was a giant, um, a giant whose universe. Existed in the shoebox of yet a larger giant whose universe existed in the shoebox of yet a larger giant now that is a fractal vision right there. Um, And I was disappointed to hear (laughs) that the Big Bang theory because I loved my giants and shoeboxes idea so that was one. Um, related association that, and again, I, I remember almost nothing from childhood, and uh, but I remember that theory I had about physics. And then the second one was I was walking in the playground in the back of the elementary school and looking down and the plants, these tiny little plants. So I got down on the ground and I peered down at these tiny little plants and they looked like miniature trees. And then I pictured myself, as a giant, in the same way where I saw this scale a little bit like um, Horton he- here's a hoo-hoo of Doctor Zeus kind of thing, and I certainly was a Doctor Zeus fan, so you know that was one of my influences. But I believe that um, so was Mandelbrot that a lot of these nonlinear scientists had Doctor Zeus as a as a way of seeding these ideas. So um, those three <laughs> memories go together as a. Now I recognize as a precognition um, of fractals yeah.
1: uh, that that let's let's just take that you you were primed to look at fractals uh and these were the elements uh, the, the giant in the shoebox is the one i can stick with really clearly because yeah. I, I can imagine that one right. inside each one of them so right. at different scales this is fractals and the you were envisioning or experiencing fractals into your future, Eric.
2: What do you think? <laughs> yeah.
1: Eric? Well, yeah, that's, that's
0: wonderful. And, uh, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You were, but it's, it's, I think more than just being primed, you know, it's like, that's the way, you know, you can always explain it that way that, okay, you were interested in fractals or something like proto fractals back in your childhood. Uh, but, you know, no, it's, it's, you were, you were precognizing, you know, you were, these were premonitions essentially of your later life and your, and, and sort of insights and epiphanies and discoveries that you would make um, uh, that would define your life in adulthood. And, uh, and those were, were, but you were cause you were self-causing your, your life. This is an aspect of, 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 these time loops. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, this is a wonderful example of, of, of what I'm trying to talk about. And, and I love hearing an example like that. Um, I, yeah, the giant in
1: the shoebox. Yeah. Uh,
0: if I love that.
1: There's, and there's
0: something, can, can I say, there's something I, I love the, you know, not only you know, mentioned Lacan and stuff like that, but one thing I, I, my, my, almost my favorite psychoanalytic thinker is D.W. Winnicott. And, and there's something really Winnicottian about, about all this uh, the 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 miniature objects the toys on the windowsill and and uh, and and the you know making that making that giant statue of liberty safe you know by <laughs>
2: by turning like shrinking it, into a, it.
0: by yeah. shrinking it yeah. uh, or the fort dog game of course i'm 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 happen to be writing about this in a chapter of a book i'm writing right now about precognition <laughs> and creativity and and it, <laughs> it all fits
1: it well, what, wait, 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 wait! wait. So this is all <laughs> oh, a precognitive setup we've got here, huh? Mm-hmm. The two yeah. of you, the two of you coming together was is a precognition I had. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, is what you're apparently, being apparently.
2: Apparently, yeah. I mean, there's that's so what inspiration many is.
0: That's what inspiration is, Bernie. Is precognition. That's the argument of my book that I'm writing right
2: now. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, mean, all I could do was say, uh, hey, uh, Eric is creating fractals (laughs) and there's something. Yeah, that's my kind of like, football dumb guy kind of way of thinking about things uh and it just seemed like a a a great fit and what you're suggesting is that i uh, the future which is now has been like influencing me to try to have the two of you come together and i'm glad the two of you were able to do that so this retro causation thing is what's going to be hard for a lot of listeners and viewers to see is mm-hmm. that the past the the future influences us in the present yeah. and right. so we we pick up the future and we're and we act on it in the present mm-hmm.
0: which means that right now you're influencing yourself in your past just like terry is you know, right now in her life or for the you know, last however long she's been focused on fractals, she's she's been influencing herself as a small child. I mean, that's a mind blowing thought, but it's the it's inevitable. It's an inevitable implication of the reality of retrocausation
1: and the reality of precognition. That the present influence influences the past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, my son is applying for a job that's really important for him, and he's kind of nervous about it because he's had uh, some failures recently that have been bothering him. So I'm wondering about how his feelings in the present about worrying about the future are influencing what's going to happen in the future as well as coming from the past into the present.
2: Hard to say, Bernie. I think you have to wait on that one. (laughs) But I'll give you a clinical example of this, um, which when the patient said it to me, I didn't buy, but now I'm, you know, maybe she's got, maybe she was on to something. A very, very severe trauma case of mine, one of several incest cases, but my most severe um, case of a, of a woman um, who was incested by her father and physically abused and emotionally abused and brought up in, um, in the hood of, of Chicago in a very, very difficult uh, family situation, um, who uh, believes that her, her family, which came from uh, mainland, mainland China, uh, but from the rural China for thousands of years has had the same pattern, which, by the way, I think epigenetics has a fractal piece to it, and uh, how the uh, transgenerational transmission of trauma is absolutely another example of of a loop, a recursive loop of patterning from one generation to the next where traits are passed down from one generation.
1: Well, genetics has got to be alive. It's man. back, oh, it's back, it's yeah. It's been yeah. back for a while. And oh, for what people for people who don't know what epigenetics is, I'll, we need, to, yeah, we need sure. to pause on that one
2: sure epigenetics so that used to be thought that uh you're you're saying lamarckian that nurture could be inherited and that was considered lamarckian evolution and people said uh no this is this is a myth this is a fairy tale it's only uh genetic that the genetics don't change like that and but um, only very recently with Michael Meany's experiments with rats in the 90s, I believe, uh, um, was it discovered that genetic genetic expression can be inherited, that, that yeah. n- nurture changes genet- the expression of genes, that we don't, not all our genes are expressed fully, and that Uh, trauma or other inert—it's positive or negative changes are what gets expressed and that can be inherited to the next generation.
1: Uh, That's such an important idea. And I want to bring it to Eric and fractals and come back to what you're talking about, Terry, but your environment influences the expression of your genes there's multiple potentials in your genes and there's some of them is fairly tightly programmed but a lot of it is influencible by what happens to you and that influences the which genes are expressing themselves eric Mm -hmm. comment on that and then we'll go back to terry's case
0: Yeah, well, that's that's uncontro- uncontroversial anymore. I mean, right. that's that's extremely well accepted, and it's uh, you know, it's it's thrown you know, it's made genetics you know far more confusing and interesting, frankly, than it. it, it and how does was it relate? Before, to, but it doesn't.
1: How does it relate to precognition? Do you think?
0: Yeah, um, there's not a direct relationship, but you, you can you can you can extrapolate from. <laughs> I mean, I have some ideas about how it. It relates to retrocausation, but that's—I uh, I think that's—that's a topic for its own. That's a topic for its own, <laughs> we'll for its own book. However, and, and however,
2: show. I think it does relate to synchronicity often, uh, because there are some weird things that people like twins uh, who have um, never met one another and been. Uh, raised in totally different environments can have some very strange things in common. And that appears like synchronicity. So I think there is some there is some something going on um, that does connect with with all these ideas. Uh, But back to this case. So um, this woman wound up uh, escaping her childhood situation, um, going to law school, going to a prestigious law school and is now a research attorney, um, who is uh, very well respected on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, when she came to see me, she had stabbed her husband and the cycle of violence was what she was wanting to stop. So she, this is, had gone on, she believes, for thousands of years in her family. And I believe it's true. Um, and women are not usually the violent ones. Um, so she wanted to, she was about to get married. She was going to have children. She really wanted to stop this cycle uh, of of, uh, incest and and violence, Um, and so she came to therapy. So fast forward, um, so I've been seeing her for 17 years, and actually just this this week, she's talking about ending therapy, which makes me really happy, because I thought she might be a lifer, uh, but she actually feels like she's internalized the work well enough, and the violence is gone. But at a certain point, she said to me, I believe you were with me in my childhood. And you helped me get out of there. And Eric, I Eric's,
1: no, Eric's nodding that right. Eric yeah, put some yeah. words on put some yeah, words, words Well, I don't want to jump in. That's a fascinating story. She, she but, knows um... her story. She knows her story. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> that reminds me of of of. Um, well, it reminds me of Donald Kalsched's work, which I assume you probably are aware of. And I, I read about him a lot in the new book. I think I sort of. Uh, I, I think he's on to this kind of without, he's, we're working within a Jungian framework, so he's not quite seeing the precognitive and retrocausal dimensions of it. But He talks about a self-care system. Uh, and he talks about these experiences of, of, uh, of, you know, guardian angel kinds of experiences. Well, I think, you know, the self is, is engaged in a, in a, in a loop with itself. And, uh, and it makes perfect sense that yes, you, you were in a sense present with, with her as a child, that makes total sense to me um so yeah i love that story and as, I, as you're talking i'm thinking of this movie I, the only movies I, I watch anymore are are children's movies because i've got two small daughters and so we can't watch anything that's at all scary but but we recently watched um uh the the, the new the recent pixar movie uh, seeing red and it's it's just wonderful and it reminded me of the, of your story cuz it's about this this um this uh, chinese canadian girl in toronto uh who's who's fan, who comes from a, a lineage of of women who all uh when they go through puberty they turn into giant red pandas and it's this <laughs> it sounds it sounds crazy but it's wonderful it's this wonderful metaphor for this kind of like you know uh sex and violence stuff that you keep repressed, you know, and that it comes out in your, in your, in your tweens, you know, and, uh, but, but the fact that it's this kind of, it's this, there's this whole lineage and and it just, it gets funnier and funnier in the end is just, it's just, it's just funny. And it actually reminds me also of your story about the Statue of Liberty. And if you watch this movie, you'll see exactly why. Um, okay. But, but I just had to throw that Sold. out. Sold. <laughs> watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. So, but, sir, um, so I, you,
1: so, so you were, Terry, you were present for this woman in her childhood.
2: Yes. And for her, this, she has become a Christian and her spirituality, her spirituality has been a big part of her healing, especially prior to coming to therapy. And so from this, for for her, this is a, was a religious feeling about, about this, um, that this is, you know connected to god and her understanding of god and this sort of thing um for me when she said it i just i was moved by it but i didn't believe it <laughs> you know what i'm saying but now there are all these things that um i'm recognizing that that fit the pattern and so i'm i'm a believer now in this in this idea that said i want to I want to take you take take some things on about your belief about the mechanism of it because I do think that the fractal epistemology is a stronger framework than uh, your tautological idea Um, because in a thermal like you you keep um, pointing to all the important stuff like the fact that the universe is, is fully a thermodynamic system but a thermodynamic system doesn't really include tautologies as as closed i mean you can't you can't wall off a single part of it um, as if it's a closed system except in our mind i mean scientists do this but i think causality isn't your strongest argument because causality is a linear thought, you have to be able to separate one element from another and say A causes B causes C or what have you in a straight line to have causality, which is why I, um, I actually think that this a causal connection piece um, which you, you know, we're making the argument is unscientific, but it's not unscientific. It's simply not reductionist science, science. It's nonlinear science and the loopy causality that we're talking about um, really does, I think, amount to a causal connection in the grand scheme of things. So I want to give you a different framework than Um, this scientific effort to model using causality as your basic as your basic uh, thread. Um, Because I think math is deeper than science. Math is at the basis of all science. And um, and so I think it hits a a deeper level um, than than science and that that you can, if you look at properties of fractals. So, so my move was going from fractal structure and just seeing fractal structure everywhere. You know, stepping outside and seeing fractals in the trees and the clouds and and all of that stuff, to abstracting principles from fractal geometry that apply to nature at large, apply to nonlinear science, and um, if you take them to their extremes, really model interconnectedness, uh, fundamental interconnectedness between everything, um, especially looking at the boundaries. So I want to show this picture because this is the one that really is helpful. Um, This is in the practical epistemology book. This picture is um, a mathematical rendering and this came from Gleick originally, his book on chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's uh, Newton's method of approximation for a quartic equation. So you're looking for not the square root, but the fourth root of, a, of an equation. And you start with a guess, And if your guess is good, you wind up in one of those four basins because there are four answers to a quartic equation. If your guess is bad, you wind up in this fractal separatrix that is, um, it's like a rabbit hole. You're going down the rabbit hole. You'll never get get to the right answer. You just bounce around from one answer to the next. But you can see that the pattern of the hole is in the spaces between the correct answers and so i i have come to realize that um that this is this is a a really great model for um the relationship between intuition or imagination and reality in a sense that those edges are the edges between inner and outer processes and um, it's sort of the rabbit hole and, and, um, and that you can look at this as self and other or inner and outer and now, um, or, or self and self. And, um, and now I've added space and time because of what your, that the dimensions, the inner dimensions as well, that there, you will have these fractal separatrices between, between things, and that's Winnicott, right? That's the transitional space right. between, that's infinitely deep and that, but that where the pattern of the whole is revealed. And so we're much more likely to perceive fractals when we're at these edges between, and which is why I, I, I buy your argument that this is a form of um, intuition. That everybody has access to it because it's part of the structure of the universe. It's the it's the it's uh, to me fractals are the meta pattern uh, patterning the patterning of patterning and the patterning of identity of in the universe and um, that uh, we're much more easily able to access that pattern when we're close to these different edges and so people that have had not have had. Uh, near death experiences are in between life and death in a certain way. And so they're closer to that edge. Um, And people that have been traumatized are closer to um, edges that have to do with trauma and this sort of thing. And so um, I think it's uh, the idea of a fractal boundary that is both open and closed in a certain way that's observer dependent in, in that it depends how you look at it, um, is what it is what you'll see and what scale you're attending to and, and this sort of thing. And you, this helps us sort of get away from causal reductionism. And which I think is a problem, you know, I think you're I think you've been sort of in between paradigms in a certain way, you see that the importance of the nonlinear, you're pointing out features of it, um, but by closing the causal loop. Um, it's artificial, I think, because the world is just as important in the brain to brain processes, because if the mind and brain were not open to the world in the first place, they're not going to have experience. And so I don't think you can cut that part out.
1: Well, let's have Eric respond to that. And yes, I'm going I'm I'm to add as a, an in-between that boundary between uh, i'm going to add the simpler versions of synchronicity of having your mind be reflected in your environment so that you're at the boundary of mind and environment
2: exactly so
1: eric please respond to this uh causality uh, idea versus like it's uh there's many more variables involved
0: I, I guess I don't understand. I, I see this as saying the same thing, but with different metaphors. I mean, I think you know, ultimately fractals are a metaphor too. I mean, they're all mm-hmm. you know ways of ways mm-hmm. of understanding in our sort of three D consciousness, but it's something much higher dimensional. And I don't. I, I guess I don't. Uh, I don't see the how it's different from what I'm saying about uh, about about you know i see i see the world as a 4d <clears throat> fractal essentially i mean imagine mm-hmm. fractals but in four dimensions right and that's what it, that's what the time looping aspect is that that we're not just talking about linear causation we're right. talking about we're talking about influences traveling in both directions across the dimension of time which is a very real dimension just like the dimensions of space right and and um and 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 there's specific rules, you know. It's like there are what I I, I sometimes call talk about two regimes of causation, uh, using sort of systems, sort of theory language. But they, you you have the the four the 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 thermodynamic regime is the one that we've understood well since the Enlightenment, you know, and that's and that's real and it governs everything, you know, like rocks and planets and all that. You can understand it very well. But there are certain situations we're now learning because of quantum physics, especially quantum computing and you know, sort of the physics of the last half century. There are certain situations, special situations where, where thermodynamic causality breaks down. And that's those those special situations where we have influence coherently traveling backwards in time, I argue. And that's things like quantum computers and lasers and and possibly exotic environments around black holes, things like that. But I think life. Two is one of those environments and 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 so you have on the one hand you have this thermodynamic universe but it, it is very reductive uh, and mechanical but then you have this opposite uh this this you know this this uh, these other this other regime that's 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 penetrating and and giving life to the universe and to mind and so on mm-hmm. uh and that's where time loops become relevant uh, and okay. I, I would,
2: I'd I put it differently. I mean, I think I agree with you that um, our our viewpoints are totally compatible. I just, um, I think like, I don't think the universe is reductive. I think our minds are reductive. When we parse out pieces of it, it looks reductive because it works to do that if you can, um, you know, if you assume that it's valid to cut off different segments of the universe um i don't think you have to go to the microscopic level to um to model this stuff i think this stuff is happening at the macroscopic level as well um in, and that this this models it and that that uh that it's not causation it's more emergence emergence is the thing yeah. that yeah, and sure, because, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, it's-
1: that's a, that's an important distinction for this this listener, namely me. The difference between a time loop, which has and retro causation, which has the word causation in it, and emergence, which uh, is. From chaos or complexity, the idea that we don't know how it's going to happen, but something unexpected emerges from uh, the following rules in a way that, that we don't usually think of rules being followed. So that that uh, there's a difference here for me between what the two of you are talking about.
2: There is a difference, and in chaos, and this. But this is the beauty of what you describe. Um, as how the patterns emerge, because you, you know, over and over, we know it's not um, with the exception of regularities that are really regular, um, that you don't predict to the moment you don't that people don't know when the stuff is going to happen when they when they have a vision, um, which is precisely true with the unpredictability of chaos, but the fact that all of chaotic processes in nature have uh, fractal uh, attractors underneath them, I think is very significant in in that respect, right? That there's Mm -hmm. an underlying mathematical structure of a fractal underneath all of that unpredictability, which really helps with the macroscopic level um, where we don't have to go into quantum tunnel tunneling and all that stuff, although I also visit the quantum world a little bit. Um, one of my recent uh, papers with Yaakov Shapiro, um, who's a psychiatrist in Toronto um, on varieties of clinical intuition, this is in psychoanalytic dialogues, uses Bohm's theory of the implicate order mm-hmm. um, as a way that we tap into information sharing. And I think the problem that many people have, with ideas such as yours or synchronicity is they're thinking of, of information transmission as right. if something is being mm-hmm. sent, as if we're yeah. receivers. And none of that is, is right. how, how this stuff works. Um, if I, I, from my perspective with uh, physics, information is the deepest level and that information is um, accessible. I believe at at the microscopic level, and so being able to tap into the implicate order is one way of looking at uh, how um, how these uncanny things can can uh, um, can happen. Well, and
1: Eric's going to be going in a in a in a bit. Uh, we we, we want to be able to to be able to come to a wrap on this and right now i don't i i think the two of you are approaching each other in what you're talking about but you ain't together and from what i can tell uh and there's there there may be uh and it doesn't have to be together uh but maybe that's just me hearing it but uh, eric please respond to to what um what terry's been saying
0: yeah, I I just see us as using two different languages I that, agree. that that that, that yeah. address also different audiences. You have to understand, I'm coming at it. I'm trying to convince people who are who are basically materialist, and and who are who want to, you know, who are not going to be persuaded by the existence of something like precognition without a materialist theory that they can understand that they can grasp about how this might work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not certain of of you know all the stuff in part two of time loops. I mean that's this is my best guess based on spending years mm-hmm. with the, the quantum physics trying to understand it as a non-physicist right. and 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 uh and the quantum biology stuff. You know, I think that there I, I do believe that something like this is going to turn out to be turn out to be what you know what you know, whoever, you know, whatever psychologist or physicist or whatever sort of makes their name by kind of doing an experiment that proves this is real, you know, that's, I I think that's going to turn out to be something like, you know, something like that eventual story. But that's not, I mean, that's not what what I'm fundamentally concerned with. I mean, what I'm concerned with is the reality of of causal circularity and the fact that, that, you know, I'm, and again, I'm causing it, calling it causal because that's the language of material science. I mean, that's, you know, materialism really isn't, isn't about matter. It's not about things being solid. I mean, materialists no longer think things are solid. That's not what they mean. They mean that you can measure things and, the, and that they are talking about causes. And so I'm, not, I'm speaking a causal language. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really do see the universe as a, a, like i said a 4d fract that is to say a hyper you know a hyperfractal fractal mm-hmm. essentially where it's time loops all the way down it's not okay. just it's not just you have occasionally these things that that wind up being circular and you go home oh, that's amazing it's if you if you really drill down into reality that's the it's going to be that's going to be true on every level and that's what a cell is that's what a you know that's what an organism is that's what okay. uh you know and it's that 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 loopiness um Mm -hmm. that i think that just that exists on four uh, in four dimensions or more um not just not just on three dimensions so i i i don't i don't know i don't see what i'm saying is different from what you're saying i think you're using a different language and you you kind of like that i i I, you're coming at it as a clinician and a, a psychotherapist and you want that language of meaning and i i get that and i get that that's the the uh uh you know and that and that if if you know if that's where you're coming from it's going to seem reduction reductionistic to to talk in terms of causes but i don't disagree with what you're saying
2: mm-hmm. yes i think i agree with you too i agree that we agree in our vision you know of the thing itself um i I think i'm not i'm more coming at it from mathematics i mean i am coming at it from a clinician experientially um but i do think this model is a different epistemology and you call for a different epistemology than the reductionist the one that has been in which makes it hard to see this stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, you know the 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 one that's been in place for thousands of years, that with uh, with um, logic, the way true, false, and binaries, and uh, it's either this or that, and. Things are separate and uh, leads to dualistic thinking. All of that, I think, um, obscures the vision that you that you have, and that it's um, that nature has a a more interconnected, uh, less dualistic, less reductionist. Um, and, and that that actually is just as scientific. Uh, so I do think it's as scientific. And I think it's a, it's a more advanced, I think it's a more advanced epistemological framework that really can add to um, to, to your vision of things. And I really do buy the, the loops all the way down. It's the giants in the shoebox. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's the giants in the shoebox thing. And uh, so... Um the, the problem, of course, is that people have not embraced the fractal epistemology. And yet it is the language of nature to use right. your word. You know, it is the, how nature works. So it is absolutely in front of us. The, the evidence is in front of us.
1: Mm-hmm. The language of nature is fractals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I, with that. I think uh, we've gotten to a nice, simple, but not so easy to understand when you get into it, but the language of nature is fractals is a wonderful condensation of what we've been talking about here. So I thank you, each of you very much and both of you together uh, for this conversation. It was fun watching your minds going with each other. and get into stuff and seeing the different languages you use. Yes. And the reasons you use different languages. So important for us to be able to understand Mm -hmm. you've done it. And um, I'm so glad we did this. Uh, So I, It's fun. (laughs) Yeah, this was really fun. Good conversation.
2: Yeah. And I'm really happy to meet you, Eric. Yeah, uh,
0: Great to meet you, Terry. I'm gonna look at your books.
2: Yep. And I want to look at your writings too. (laughs) Well, you have, so. Thank you, Bernie. You really, um, I'll tell you, I was having, I I had a samadhi. I really did. I had a samadhi during the week. I just, I was transported into space with uh, how you brought us together and all of the the intertwinings and synchronicities there.
1: Well, I'm glad you pay attention to the the enzyme in this uh, equation here. Because uh, that's what I like to do. And that's what I've done. And I learned a lot from each of you. And there's so much more to be able to figure out. I mean, uh, the language of nature is a fractal and it's fractals all the way down. I said, well, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, I'm still like. I like to say an old football player that still thinks with my cleats on the ground. So I've got to like uh, be able to imagine this stuff. And I've started to be able to do it and uh, I will continue to try to be able to do it. So, I uh, thank you for not just me, but for our audience, and for expanding out into the psychosphere these concepts about how to put fractals and precognition and coincidences together. And that's the sort of thing that I continue to try to be able to do. So, thank you again very much for, e- for each of you showing up today and for a, a, a great dialogue, a great dialogue.
0: Thank you, Bernie.
2: Yep. Thank you, Bernie. You're welcome.
0: This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere. Like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.